You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK principal David Leach. David, I trust you are well. Ah, yes, pouring with rain uh, here in Sydney as we record this, Giles, and I think it's over much of eastern Australia. Uh, strange weather, we've, uh, but yes, well, and looking forward to talking a bit more about electricity and uh, electric vehicles and all yes. things that are going on. Yes, a bit of bit in electric vehicles um, this week, actually. There's been a few interesting developments there, and we've got an interview for you also with um, uh, Laura Jones, who's very much involved in grid integration studies for electric vehicles. Um, just imagine having all the fleet of EVs with the storage capacity of Snowy 2.0. Well, how do you harness all of that? Well, we might get some idea about how later in this um, podcast... First of all, though, um, a few events, um, a few things happening in the last week, David, I guess, since our last podcast. And um, look, most notice- noticeably, South Australia, um, rooftop solar. Now, we've been talking a little bit about the um, ISP and the AMS ISP and new inverter technology, but it was quite interesting last weekend, um, a pretty interesting weekend, actually. Started off with a... Um, a, um, a um, a fire and a substation and massive electricity prices. Absolutely. And South, South yeah. Australia nearly went into blackout uh, again. Uh, um, and so that was very interesting, but that's becoming a sort of semi-standard event uh, around Australia these days. But oh, there was... Well, let's not put it quite that much. Yes, so, so that fire actually took out half the gas capacity um, of, of the state, which meant that they had to turn on some diesel generators for a few hours, as it turns out, because they've got these little grid um, transmission works happening. But um, yes, on, on Sunday got even more interesting because um, the new challenge for AEMO is um, very much minimum demand, and uh, they're setting records of minimum demand um, all over the shop um, in just about every state. Um, and um, the new inverter technology, rooftop solar technology that they've um, they've introduced in South Australia first and will be introduced to the rest of the grid later was um, deployed on Sunday afternoon when they quietly um, and very quietly switched off about 60 megawatts of rooftop solar both through this new inverter standard and this new protocol that they've got which is like a voltage management system, which is basically injecting a little bit more voltage down the um, down the pipes or down the wires and uh, tripping off people's rooftop solar. So they actually um, got rid of the rooftop solar to create more demand because it was at levels that AEMA became uncomfortable with because of the work was on this transmission link. Um, interesting stuff, David, and I don't think we've seen the last of it. No, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of it. Uh, a couple of points. I think it's it's pretty close to a world first. Maybe it's been done in Hawaii of uh, the uh, network operators uh, just tripping people off rooftop solar uh, to the extent of 50 or 60 megabytes. It's it's quite a large uh, chunk. And the fact that they were able to do it, it, it shows to me that networks are actually still the most powerful agents and, and the best able in some ways to be the uh, manager of all the behind the meter stuff. 
uh, as opposed to virtual power plants. Uh, but the second thing is it's really, it's an incredibly crude way of doing it by raising the voltage. It can't actually be good for the equipment to have that happen on a regular basis and just illustrates how much more sophisticated we could, it could be done if we had like community batteries and or more household batteries and you know our, our inverters that were voltage uh, sensitive and so could work out whether to be charging or or discharging uh, at various times depending on the on the signal they're receiving yeah. Yeah, so the voltage management, that was interesting. That, that was actually a new one on me. I didn't, ha- didn't actually realise they'd actually developed that capability or, or were willing to deploy it, so they did do that. Um, the new sort of Smarter Homes initiative, which South Australia has adopted um, before any other state, but every other state will be required to adopt, I think, under these new inverter standards, basically requires them to have ride-through capabilities and also basically appoint an agent. So um, I think through the Smarter Homes things with these inverters, um, that's sort of um, a, a bit more subtle. They can just sort of send out a signal um, to the inverter um, uh, other than sort of increasing the voltage and um, and turn them off that way. So um, that's a bit more sort of accurate, probably a bit more coordinated, a bit more precise, but um, interesting. Um, I think it's actually probably a good thing because it does mean that um, we may see this happening as, as several times a year, but it does mean that they found a way to make rooftop solar um, a bit less threatening for them because they're starting to get very uncomfortable. This sort of this this level of of this um, generation capacity, which they had no control over. Uh, yes, so uh, that's right. But whether whether appointing agents, uh, Giles, look at we, we don't want to get bogged down. But whether appointing agents who basically probably couldn't give a toss about it, just uh, if you know what I mean, have no real interest in 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 the consumer once they've sold them the system, is actually the best way to do management of behind the meter. Uh, I, I, I would think not. I think it, I just think it can be done much better. Uh, but nevertheless, the fact that it can be done at all and it is being done is interesting in, in and of itself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fair enough. Look, a couple other things to go to before we go to our um, interview. Um, um, AGL is back in the market for renewables, um, not directly, but at least indirectly through the Powering Australian Renewables. Um, well, it's just called Power now, isn't it? Or Power, actually, Power. It's, it's called Power, Giles, and I, I, I'm not sure they'd actually, uh, to be slightly controversial, really want to emphasise the AGL, which is 20% of that uh, business, uh, a role in it. It is important that AGL's participated. Uh, AGL, as we've mentioned on this podcast, has got its strategy day coming up at the end of this month. And uh, you can overhype these things for sure, but, I mean, AGL is at a crossroads. That's recognised by everyone. And, and and the fact that they've committed, uh, whatever it was, $350 million to this power deal, which was a large deal, a two and three quarter billion dollar deal, uh, is, is interesting. It certainly preserves their options and flexibility. It, it probably makes power one of the uh, biggest uh, owners of renewable energy in Australia right at this very instant. But it's a constantly shifting landscape as, as companies like uh, Neowin and uh, um, um, who owns Infogen now? Uh, uh, Ibadrola. Ibadrola. Yeah. So that, that market's consolidating very quickly. And I guess the point I was going to get to with AGL is that as those guys uh, consolidate and get bigger, they're not going to be just have a collection of wind and solar farms that are sort of just running whenever they feel like it. They're going to uh, want to have more and broader influence in the market. So there's kind of issues there for, for existing players, uh, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the interesting thing about that, um, of course, we I don't know, we've actually mentioned the target of this um, takeover, which is Tilt Renewables, which um, has built, um, been one of the most successful um, listed um, renewable companies in Australia and New Zealand. It owns, um, well, it's all sort of part of the Snowtown Wind Complex, but um, has also built um, Dundonald and um, has quite a very, quite, quite a big uh, pipeline of um, assets down the line, which is, I think, which is what attracted power because it basically had nothing. It had um, the four assets that inherited um, or passed plus, to it. Plus, it well, it's got the Rye, Rye Park uh, wind farm, which I think is 400 and something megawatts from memory and has a PPA with Newcrest uh, for their sort of uh, biz- mining business. Uh, and that illustrates another point, which we probably won't have time to talk about on this podcast, of how the resources sector uh, is moving uh, into, the, um, uh, into renewables because they see the money-saving uh, options there. Uh, but we, we are going to talk about electric uh, vehicles this, this week, aren't we? And I think your lawn's pretty much been done to death. Uh, but the outstanding thing that's got everyone puzzled, and, I, you know, I hate murkiness and lack of disclosure. And the fact is the Victorian government uh, is supporting somehow or other your lawn, but it's not telling anyone how it's doing it. Uh, as Bruce Mountain pointed out, that there are only, you know, it would, there are only some ways it can do it that don't break the market rules. And if the if if the effect is to keep your lawn running longer than it would if it was left to its own devices, uh, then that's bad for all the other players in the market because it's just another sort of killer in the market. And I think Dylan McConnell, uh, who's a very sharp fellow, uh, put it most acutely when he said that we've now got the new wind and solar being subsidised and we've also got the old coal being subsidised. <laughs> There's not much left for someone. If you're not getting a subsidy, it's a bit like JobKeeper. You're really feeling a bit hard done by, aren't you? Well, no wonder the federal government wants to make a gas subsidy as well through <laughs> its various interventions. Yes, absolutely. Um, no, look, the uh, no, I, I agree absolutely, and um, and, and the lack of clarity over it has, has, is, um, is is very unfortunate. Um, look, let's move on to electric vehicles. Um, and the um, big announcement, the big announcement, Giles, this week was the VW Battery Day. Now, yeah, you know, because VW in Australia seems to be not trying very hard on electric vehicles. Uh, people kind of in here miss the fact of just you know I've said already that they're pretty much betting the farm. Uh, on on going on electric vehicles and their share price took a had, a had a huge bounce after they had effectively their battery day which follows Tesla's battery day last year where VW said they're going to be uh, building six more battery factories and working very hard themselves on their own uh, battery chemistry and also working hard on charging one way or another to get EV charging times down to about 12 minutes I think they said Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's a lot of electric vehicles charging in 12 minutes, that does have very big implications for the grid. Uh, but it also is going to take away, I get a lot of criticism when I say that charging times don't matter very much, but for a lot of motorists, they, they, I think they do. If you're an enthusiast, you don't really care. Uh, but for those people that want to charge on the grid and just have their cup of coffee and go, the fact that you can get it done in 12 minutes is, is, would be a big plus, I think. Yeah, look, I think so. Yes, I'm one of those who just think it, it sort of matters less, but I can understand that there's a lot of people out there who w- would want it to happen as quickly as possible, particularly the people who do a lot of driving. Um, look, that's really interesting um, stuff. Look, and it, wa- and it was interesting to see the um, sort of see the contrast and the similarities between Tesla's Battery Day and VW's Power Day. Uh, we actually had a pretty good analysis written this week for the Driven website by uh, Tosh Chateau, um, which was um, which was 
which is which is worth reading. But look, let's have a listen to the um, interview I did earlier today with Laura Jones from the ANU Battery Integration Team. And I'm delighted to welcome uh, Laura Jones from the um, Battery Storage and Integration um, Unit at ANU and a, um, a self-described reformed utility engineer, Laura. Is that correct? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, yes, I've recently made the jump from utility to research and it's been massive fun so far. Um, and it's nice to sort of break the shackles of working at a network. Ah, indeed. And look, um, not just fun, but also very productive because you've also, you've also been involved um, along with some of your um, teammates at um, ANU and uh, I think elsewhere. Um, 169-page report. Um, it's called The A to Z of V to G, and it's obviously about electric vehicle batteries and the role they can play in the grid, but I'm just fearing here another onslaught of acronyms. Yes, unfortunately, uh, we we seem to be really great at making acronyms in the industry. Um, yes, it is a rather weighty tome, but um, essentially it's about vehicle to grid. So it's really this concept that you've got a battery in your electric vehicle and it's on wheels, but you can sort of use it like a battery as well as like a vehicle. So you can discharge this this vehicle for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, and the, really, this report talks about some of those reasons and what you might need to do if you wanted it to happen. Um, it's part of this, um, sorry. No, you go. To grid trial. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's part of this vehicle to grid trial that we're doing in um, the ACT in Australia at the moment. Yeah, well, let's get on to that. But just looking at some of these acronyms, there's um, there's there's, there's VOG, um, which yep. is uh, charging managed by the customer manually. There's V1G, charging managed by a system on the customer half. Then there's yep. V2H, vehicle to home. Um, that's where the battery yep. sort of feeding into the home. V, V2B, which is vehicle to buildings. V2G, which is vehicle to grid. To, to grid. And I think you've... Um, um, try to solve a problem by making it V to X, which I can just basically means yeah. vehicle to anything, <laughs> including off yeah. the grid and to and to campsites and things like that. But I, I'd imagine that sort of captures everything yeah. else, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we there weren't enough acronyms, so we had to add a few more. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is really. I mean, if you think of this this vehicle to X idea, it's like this Swiss Army knife that you can do a whole bunch of things with. Um, and we just come up with a whole bunch of different acronyms that talk about some of the specific tools that might be in this Swiss Army knife. So if you're using it the same way you might use your Tesla Powerwall, you'd usually call it V to H, so storing your excess soul and managing tariffs, that sort of thing. Um, vehicle to building might be like if you're in a larger building and you're using it to manage the building as a whole, much the same way maybe a house. V to G is... You're using it for grid services, so I guess if you're going back to that power wall analogy, it's like you're part of a VPP, and that um, is sort of harnessed together with a whole bunch of other sort of similar resources um, in providing wider grid services, like you know, um, managing high market prices, increasing the amount of wind energy that can be in the grid, and that sort of thing. Um, V2X or vehicle to anything is like this. Um, the, the imagery that keeps coming to my head, actually, is I don't know if you've seen the ads for that new um, Hyundai Ioniq 5. Um, I've seen some of them. In fact, I was going to mention them. Yeah, tell the yeah. listeners about it. 
So one of the things they talk about in this ads is they got this picture of this PowerPoint in there and then all of these images of, you know, people camping and, and, and stuff like that. So it's really this concept that you've got a battery and you can do all sorts of things with that energy from the battery. Like if you're going camping, you can go put an air conditioner in your tent and it's nice and comfortable. Um, <laughs> or, or if you're a builder or a trader, you can use it to do power tools, use your power tools. Actually, one of the really interesting things, I don't know if you, I mean, I know there's been a lot of noise about what happened in Texas recently with their cold snap. Um and I might have actually been on, on Renewal Economy or The Driven. Um, there was an article of these people who had bought um, a hybrid version of one of those large sort of utes that you can buy in the US, and it's got a PowerPoint on it. And mm -hmm. they sort of ran a cord from that into their house and used it to supply some heating and that sort of thing. So well, that's, exactly, I mean, that's exactly what I would think you would do with the Ionic because, you know, I, we've been thinking about, I and mean, we have an electric vehicle. Um, we're lucky enough to have a Tesla Model 3, but it can't do anything with the house. And so, you know, we lost electricity last week for a few hours and I looked at the electric vehicle and I just thought, well, you're useless right now, aren't you? And I was just sort of thinking, well, look, if we do find an electric vehicle that can do the vehicle to grid, it sounds like there's so many hurdles and regulatory hurdles and network and standard hurdles. Wouldn't it just be easier to get an Ionic 5? You've just basically got to plug in the car. I can run out a um, extension cord and keep the fridge and the lights going that way yeah and i think definitely at the moment when you know charges are vehicle to grid charges are quite expensive they're fairly new um just having a powerpoint in the car there's something so nice about you know i can just plug it into the car and it works when the power's out um <laughs> there's actually um i don't know if you've heard about melbourne design week no um no it was something actually that one of my colleagues just posted on sort of our internal message board um, but one of the things that they have there is they've got this event where there's like um, um, a concert or something going on and it's powered by Nissan Leafs using a, the vehicle to grid sort of um, connection on the car to sort of power like a concert. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, okay. And, you know, the event, and the advantage of that is, you know, you've got your, your – you could theoretically you can do that with your petrol car, but it's noisy and it makes smoke. But if you're trying to run a concert, you know, a vehicle, electric vehicles silence, it's great. That's a terrific idea. Oh, I look forward to yeah, I look forward to, to to that. So, look, tell me about. Um, we'll go back into the sort of the vehicle to grid comp, com, um, concept and, and and the broader things where we're heading. But just tell us just in a bit more detail about this trial that you're um, involved with in the ACT. And I, I understand that's with uh, fifty one Nissan Leafs in the ACT. Mm -hmm. So, has that started yet? And, and exactly what is it um, going to be doing? Or what has it done already? So essentially what we've got is we've got 51 um, V to G capable Nissan Leafs and they're in the fleet of the ACT government. So essentially these are the vehicles that people like community nurses use to go out and visit uh, people and help them with their sort of daily life chores and stuff like that. And the idea is that when these vehicles aren't being used for that purpose, they're sort of sitting in the parking garage and providing sort of services into the grid. It's a mostly contingency frequency control. So essentially what happens is if, say, a generator somewhere trips, these vehicles sort of spring in and start discharging to try to make up some of the generation that you lost when the big generator tripped off. So it's like trying to rescue the system once coal generators trip. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is that it makes these vehicles useful at times when they're not being used for driving. So instead of them being parked there and not doing anything useful, they may as well help the grid when bad things happen in the grid um, when they're not being used to get from A to B. Yeah. Um, How, this is, it's kind of interesting because you, you note in your report 
that um, this concept is kind of easier for the energy industry because they're used to distributed energy resources like solar and batteries and things like, but completely new for the transport industry, which is just basically about taking sort of people or things from one place to another. But I wonder whether the energy industry is actually used used to having its assets um, sort of disappear down to the shops to get some milk or go off to the footy or something like that. So I'm just wondering, (laughs) what does it feel about having these things mobile and not necessarily all there when they might be either wanted or needed. And I guess as far from an industry point of view, I guess you'd say don't know. We haven't got enough data really to work out how much that matters. Um, One of the advantages of these commercial sort of uh, fleet vehicles is most of the time when, a lot of the time when prices are quite high, is sort of about when in the afternoon when everyone sort of gets home from work and cooks tea and turns the air conditioner on because it's hot and when the solar generation sort of tailing off at the end of the day, which also is when the fleet vehicles tend to come back from their, their what they're doing for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at the early data, there's actually pretty good um, coincidence between when these vehicles come back and when you sort of start needing them from, a, from an energy system perspective. Oh, so rather than coming back and charging and depleting the the, uh, the power resources, they'll actually come back and reinforce them because they'll still have something left in their batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's um, And you can sort of, if you build your systems right, in the morning they can sort of prepare for them still having some energy in the battery when they come back in the afternoon. Hmm. It's interesting because I've heard sort of reports saying that, you know, if there were 5 million or 10 million electric vehicles on the road, then there's enough storage out there on wheels, which would sort of be equivalent to the storage capacity of Snowy 2.0 or something like that. I'm just wondering what sort of uncertainty that might bring to the market because kind of everyone, when when people decide to build something and deploy something, they kind of, you know, they've got in their mind um, what somebody else may or may not do or what capability capacity they have. It's a bit of a random... um, it, it would be a big, random, it seems to me, um, asset uh, with all these vehicles. Yeah, it will be. I guess the idea or the hope is that once you have lots and lots of vehicles, everyone using them randomly sort of means that, like, I guess it's the more randomness you have, the more you can be certain that at least some of them are going to be there. Uh-huh, um, yes. Like if you've got, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like how that you can come up with a pretty good estimate of how much solar generation there is in the energy system at any moment, but you're probably going to have a really bad estimate of what one particular solar system's doing. That is very true, and I should, probably should have thought of that before I answered the question. So um, this trial in, in, in the ACT is going to go along for how long and what happens, what happens next? I mean, to what extent is what you yep. learn here going to dictate what happens elsewhere in the grid? So um, the trial at the moment, uh, we're getting charges sort of connect, run through the um, connection, the process so that we can connect them. So testing them against uh, AS4777, our sort of connection standard, which will hopefully be done quite soon. Um, has that been a problem? Getting... Has that been a problem getting the standards done? Uh, it, it has been a bit challenging, I guess, because these things are new to Australia. So the manufacturers haven't really gone through the Australian standards process. So they're sort of learning at the same time as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a little bit harder than we had hoped, but we'll get there and we, we're sort of on the home stretch now. So should be okay. reasonably soon, fingers mm-hmm. crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the vehicles hopefully will be sort of installed and working by around the middle of the year and then we sort of we spend a year or so with the vehicles in the market so we're collecting data on how they work and how they interact and what impact this actually has on the car and their batteries and everything um and then the idea is that the things that we test in this become things that people might actually be able to participate in sort of after the trial and we've sort of proven it's worked in the trial. Right, right. And how many sort of vehicle manufacturers do you think there are out there which are interested in this technology? Because, um, you know, the, the Nissan Leafs are interesting because they come from Japan and Japan actually had quite a great need for this technology um, just recently because it lost all its nuclear capacity after Fukushima and it had a few challenging summers where and you know where this vehicle to, vehicle to grid actually sort of proved useful although probably in relatively low quantities um do you know of any others i mean tesla hasn't made much about it but they're probably com selling a competing product in the sense that they've got their own power walls which they want to sell to people in homes yeah it's like why would they sell you a car when they can sell you a car and a battery um <laughs> The, um, yeah, I think, I mean, one of the challenges at the moment is there isn't a lot of standards that support V2G. So when it, when it's DC charging, you've got sort of Chatmo or CCS. And at the moment, Chatmo is the only one that supports V2G. And most cars are CCS, which seems to be the newer standard, the one that's seeing wider adoption. So the people who define that standard have said that they're going to support V2G in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I think they've got it on their roadmap for about 2025. Um, so I suspect once that standard supports it, you'll see a lot more of the manufacturers picking it up. Okay. What are going to be some of the basic challenges then in actually sort of rolling this out? I mean, I suppose, first of all, you actually need enough electric cars in the fleet to actually make it worthwhile and make it interesting. Yep. Then you probably need your sort of protocols and standards. Then you kind of need your business models and, and how it works with the networks and the market operator sees it. I mean, it seems to be a lot of things for people to get their mind around. There, there is, um, and you're right. I mean, it's it, it's this multi-dimensional problem, and there are a lot of things that you need to do, like you know, convincing someone that siphoning fuel out of their car once they've put it back in, once they put it in the first place, is a good idea. I think there's a bit of a journey to go on to get people comfortable with that, um, and you know, trying to come up with the right sort of value proposition that builds people's confidence in being able to do that. I think actually we can probably take a fair bit of guidance from some of the places overseas because they're probably a bit ahead of us in EV uptake. And particularly in the UK, they've done quite a few projects looking at V2G and they're bringing them a bit more along that sort of commercialization journey. So there's um, a couple of them in particular that have been quite interesting. So there's one by um, a company called Octopus Energy. Mm-hmm. Um, who are known in, in Australia because they have an agreement with um, Origin Energy, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they've got this vehicle lease, essentially, where you lease a vehicle from Octopus Energy and they include a V2G charger in that and you sort of get a discount on your on your um, uh, lease if you plug your car in. I think it's more than 12 times a month um, oh, overnight. So you've got to make sure you plug your car in every night and then you get... I think it's about a thirty-pound discount on the monthly lease of their of the car, um, and then you've got the other one. There's another retailer called Ovo Energy in the UK. Um, I think they're active in Australia. I'm from Tasmania. None of these are, are available to me. I mean, we we don't have a lot of choice down here. 
Ovo Energy actually came into Australia, um, but I'm not too sure how active they've been. I know, I know they applied for a retail license. I know they were bringing an electric vehicle concept to Australia, and I know they had one in the UK, but I don't think they've, I don't think they've rolled it out here. But tell us more about what they're doing in the UK. So they've got this um, project. Uh, it's got a really strange name, and I can't say it, um, but. It's like a essentially like a feed-in tariff. So you bring your own car to it, they give you a charger and they give you a feed-in tariff that's about twice the consumption tariff mm-hmm. on the proviso they can control your vehicle and, and, and do what they like with it from a market perspective. What was interesting actually is there was one of the participants in that trial went and sort of filmed their experiences, trial participants, and put it on YouTube. And they posted this picture of how much energy was actually going in and out of this car battery and I mean this was in the middle of COVID so obviously that's that's going to have a strong impact over there but 65% of the energy that went into the car came back out of it again um, to go into the grid for these grid services so they were seeing a lot of use of that car battery um, to do the sort of market stuff that the retailer was trying to do but it also meant that their power bills were essentially zero or even sort of getting a bit of credit because of the amount of sort of energy that was being shifted. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. I have to have a look at that video. Um, so that's that's an interesting concept. And, and so they provide their own charging um, or their own sort of, I, I guess it was the sort of the, the bi-directional charger because the ones that we've seen so far are actually pretty expensive, aren't they? I mean, they almost um, yeah, they are. They, they make you wonder whether they're worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's the, it's the, it, it seems like the price is not that much cheaper than a home battery. But I guess on the flip side, um, you know, a Leaf's 40 kilowatt hours and a Tesla Powerwall's 13. So it's a much bigger battery that comes in your car. It's just whether the fact of whether it's only sometimes there is enough. Mm. But what it's interesting of, you know, there's actually another model um, that was interesting, really interesting I heard from Canada, actually. Um, this was one where um, the person the person leased the car off of the provider and in that lease, they got car parking during the day. On the proviso, they drove their car in and parked their car and plugged it in. And then they used the battery in the car sort of as part of the building during the day. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So it was like, you know, it's these ideas of, you know, the fact that you've got a battery driving around with you, you can use it like you can use it like a credit card and, you know, pay for things with the battery, with the, the energy in your battery. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I can't wait for that to happen for accommodation and things like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd, that'd be nice. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, uh, you're rent free. Just give us your just just plug plug your plug, plug your electric vehicle in at seven o'clock each night for an hour or two, and then um, we'll be fine. Um, yeah. Terrific. So, how do you think then? Sort of, sort of, um, sort of stare into your looking glass um, and think. You know, five years down the track, ten years down the track, fifteen years down the track. What do you think it's going to look like? Because, you know, we hear about these technologies. That at the beginning, it kind of looks really hard, really complicated. We can kind of see what might be possible in the future. Having had a brief look at it, seeing what's happening overseas, um, do you think it's going to be kind of like, you know, solar PV and battery storage and it's just going to kind of, you know, accelerate quicker than we'd ever imagined? Or you know, wh- wh- how do you see the future? It's, I mean, in the immediate future, I actually, if I was, if I was putting my sort of, sort of future hat on, you know, looking in, into the looking glass, I actually see a lot of these sort of resilience, these power points in the cars becoming a much bigger use case in the short term. Cause it's about, you know, 
getting people to begin to think of their car as more than just a car, of also being able to do other things with it. And once you've sort of broken down that barrier of, you know, cars can do other things as well, it becomes an easier sell of, you know, well, you can also use it for sort of grid services. So I think if I was to look at it, I think that VGG is probably going to be a bit like a home battery and fairly niche in the sort of short term. But then once these things like the, these PowerPoints in cars become more common um, and people start looking at their car as more than just a car, that's when um, these things are going to be picked up a little bit more, particularly as charges drop in price as they become more common and more available. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. Um, Laura, um, we do thank you very much for joining the podcast and um, look forward to the, uh, the next report and, um, and, and, and sort of um, you know, what you find in the ACT with your 51 Nissan Leafs. Thank you very much, Giles. It's been really fun. And that was Laura Jones and from the ANU Battery Integration Team. David, it's it, it's quite fascinating to um, to hear about sort of you know the potential for electric vehicles to become um, part of the grid, both um, as a major power a source of demand, but also as a potential major source of supply. And it's going to be fascinating to see how the um, the trial with the Nissan vehicles goes in the ACT and how true that actually holds in the future that these um, that these electric vehicles can actually become a great source of, um, um, you know, um, a network asset rather than just a, um, than just a deficit. Oh yes, I think there's no question about that. I, I think the integration is very important, and that's and it's great to see the ANU's got a whole uh, school essentially or team devoted to studying these issues because you'll be waiting a long time before uh, the federal or even the state governments uh, really get stuck into it in a decent way. I do think it's an area that I've said a lot of times that there is a much bigger role for government. I mean. Uh, There's no doubt I criticise Angus Taylor and federal government policy a lot and uh, I think justly most of the time, but I do think in the the case of electric vehicles, and I've been saying this for years, actually the states could do an awful lot, more than they could even do in electricity if they really wanted to. The states could take an enormous lead. Registration charges are state-based, toll roads are state and private sector-based. Uh, buses tend to be state-owned or council-owned. Uh, I mean, there's just an enormous amount of charging uh, can easily be done on a, on a, on a state basis, um, and, and it would benefit us all. I mean, it would help if there was a federal national policy and, and the feds, you know, kind of took a proper, decent, sensible guiding hand towards it, but the states can do a lot, and we do need policies uh, if to, to move this along to get Australia ready. One of the things, uh, the points I would be making if I was a policymaker, uh, advisor, which of course we're not, we're just humble podcasters here, Giles, is that Indonesia, Indonesia has attracted 24 billion US dollars of investment towards battery manufacturing and electric vehicle type things. Uh, uh, Indonesia is a major competitor of Australia's in, in exporting of energy as it is, and they're getting all these investment dollars into an economy which is probably far less capable uh, of giving them a good result than Australia's if we actually made a coordinated effort. Where, where is Australia's effort to get these kind of inwards investment dollars into new manufacturing industries? 
Well, exactly. Um, now that, that, that that's 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 exactly true, actually, and it's probably one of the where the efforts of the renewable energy industry um, should actually be going, talking about the sort of the jobs. Um, you know, wind and solar project owners often sort of talk about the jobs that they create. Um, the reality is they create a lot of construction jobs, but not many ongoing jobs. But if they framed it in the terms of sort of manufacturing capability because of cheap power, because of clean power, um, and that was actually embraced by the federal government, then um, just imagine where we. Could could be um you know scott morrison i think was talking to john kerry this week about sort of climate goals and and things like that he hasn't actually sort of budged at all apart from acknowledging sometime in the future there's going to be something called new energy or we're going to get to a new energy future but he still couldn't bring himself to actually talk about renewables or wind and solar i'm not too sure what he thinks new energy is because it's um well, it's, I, uh, I think the emerging paradigm giles is that it's a lot more than just wind and solar wind and solar are the base energy providers but then you've got hydrogen if it's if there's a future for that, and you've got uh, electric vehicles if there's a future for 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 those, and and they all sort of work together in, in, into a much more um, uh, integrated kind of uh, system, and we we don't exactly know how it's going to fit, but I do know for absolute sure that batteries of one sort or another, and in fact probably all sorts, are going to have a really big role in it, and uh, so and 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 that Australia with or without the government, is going to be at the forefront of a lot of this. And we would be a lot more at the forefront if we would just get the electric vehicle part of it going because it's. I think it's well recognised in the literature broadly that having solar on your roof and having an electric car kind of go hand-to-hand. Absolutely, and 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 yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I was fascinated by one aspect of the interview with um with, with Laura Jones, and she sort of pointed to the new Hyundai Ionic Five, and that's really interesting because they're not really talking about vehicle to grid; they're talking about vehicle to X. Basically, what they've got is a pretty big battery in the car that's about fifty kilowatt hours and a power point outside on on, on the exterior, so you can basically use it for whatever you want. Now, be it power tools or going camping, or if you're at home. Maybe the power's gone out or you just want to use it. You can just sort of put an extension cord out there and plug it straight in. It sort of bypasses that whole sort of vehicle to grid sort of integration. But the point that she was making was that that actually is really quite interesting, could be very attractive for a lot of people um, because it may actually sort of suit their sort of the way they go about their lives. And it sort of leads them to think differently about their vehicles. And that's going to be the important part of integrating these um, these batteries on wheels, if you like, because they've only actually thought about cars as sort of you know modes of transport getting people or things from one place to another and this would be the start of thinking about them as completely different sort of asset batteries with wheels that you can that can make your coffee for you in the morning and you never need to leave you know <laughs> <laughs> yes but as a as an energy asset sort of disappearing down to the shop to get a bottle of milk or something and then sort of coming back again oh sorry did i miss that okay whatever um anyway so, i guess that we we, we we'll, we'll we'll finish up here but i mean the point is um I, I suppose that we've got vw which is one of the big motor car sellers in australia and it's not just vw it's also audi it's also porsche uh, and there's a couple of other brands that I've uh, just escaped my mind as well. It's in the, in the Skoda. Uh, and then you've got Hyundai, which is also Kia. Uh, you know, this is a big share of the Australian vehicle sales. I think Toyota's uh, going to make some big moves uh, fairly shortly. And before we go, Giles, the one thing I do want to mention in terms of the thinking global side of things, we talked briefly last week about the European 
carbon border tax, which has still got to actually turn into actual legislation. It's just sort of kind of been approved by Parliament as something that should have legislation. But in the USA, according to the Wall Street Journal, it's next month that we're going to see uh, Biden making uh, the USA policy announcement, which is likely to see uh, their carbon ambition heading towards a 50% reduction from 2005 levels by 2030. And that's going to mean a lot bigger emphasis on tax incentives, I think, and electric vehicles and a whole whole bunch of things that permeate throughout the entire economy, including, I think, the um, uh, USA vehicle, you know, public service vehicle fleets all, all moving towards electric. Uh, he's put a big committee together, which has got the heads of all the departments on it. And it does seem to me there's a lot of uh, uh, bureaucratic uh, enthusiasm at the top for the whole process. Uh, so that'll be something to keep an, uh, an eye on as the months, as April proceeds. Absolutely. And putting pressure on the Australian government to um, do more than just try and defend its um, old targets. So, look, very much, um, David. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, thank you also to uh, Laura Jones for joining us to the podcast. I'd like to also mention the uh, Driven podcast, uh, which I recorded last week and we put up earlier this week. It's actually an interview with the head of mobility and the head of strategy from Origin Energy, Chow Lee talking about their newly announced plans to try and encourage fleet owners to sign up with them. And I guess that's a, it's, um, it's a lot about the sort of this new strategy that we'll see from Origin and possibly from AGL um, about engaging more with the distributed energy and behind the meter sort of as, as part of their new business model. So that's going to be fascinating to see. And I do recommend you listen to that. Um, in the meantime, thank you very much to our sponsors, um, Evergen and Pylon. Thanks to all our listeners. Um, we do appreciate your feedback. It's great to get that occasionally. And um, we'll be back again this time next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use, solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.